Welcome to uh, the Greenwood campus. I'm excited to be here. Anybody else pumped up? Fired up? We're in week number three of a series called The Swiss Army Life. It's been a great series. I think it's been a great series. Very challenging. Uh, the idea behind the series is that we believe that God has created you to live a useful life, not just to suck air for 75 years, take up some space, work a job, make some money, and then croak and die. Like, that's not the point of it all, right? So we're actually supposed to make a difference with our lives. So we've used this little tool, the Swiss Army Knife, to kind of be a metaphor for the series, just to say, hey, look at this thing. This thing's got like 12 different options, and they actually make some of these now that have like four or five digital options, like a little clock on there and, and a little laser light, and you can plug in like your mp3 player into it it's kind of fascinating but this isn't one of those this is just a regular one that has the saw and the core screw and the screwdriver and the, of course you got your blade there and you know just little scissors if you want to snip your nose hairs you know what i mean right in there toothpick if you get something in your teeth little tweezers if you want to pick at stuff but just just an incredibly useful tool anybody have one of these anybody anybody yeah okay no you don't <laughs> but anyway, the idea behind it is that it's a useful tool, and if you get online, you can read about some stories where it's actually saved people's lives before, and it's just, it's just, it's nuts. So what we've said in the series so far is that if you want to live the Swiss Army life, you've got you to live a life of prayer, right? That, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James chapter 5, 16, that was back in week one, so if you missed that, you can watch them on the podcast. I challenge you to pray for people, pray for your elected leaders, pray for your spiritual leaders, and then just pray for whatever it is that's on your heart so that you can create some emotional space to help other people, to lighten your ship a little bit. So, and then last week we talked about how you were created to create, and that when you match up your skill and your passion and you take consistent action and those three things overlap, you get this thing called useful creativity that evolves or, 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 or is created, and that's the spot that, that God wants to use you to make a difference in this world. So let me ask you a quick question. How many of you you last week actually went out and created something? Raise your hand. I have to do a better job preaching then because the idea behind my talks is for you to go take action. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to amp it up today because that was lame. I'm just going to tell you that was a lame response, okay? You're supposed to have created a blog post or written a song or created a moment with your spouse. You're supposed to go, go, go create, but you didn't. So, uh, Okay, um, so all right, let me give it a better, let me give it my best shot here today. Today we want to continue this conversation about how in the world can you and I live a useful life, like actually do something and make an impact and make a difference with our lives with the time that we have here on this earth. You know, I want to start with a quote from Plato. Plato said this, he said, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. You believe that? I absolutely believe that. You might think, well, I'm not facing a hard battle right now. Oh, you will. Oh, you will. It's just a matter of time, right? Everyone goes through hard battles. So, so well, the idea is just, hey, be tender, be empathetic, be kind, because people are facing a hard battle. Sometimes all you have to do is ask this question, how's it going? And people will tell you how it's going. And what you'll discover if you take an interest in people is that they are facing a hard battle battle. Sometimes it's emotional. There's, there's uh, resentment or bitterness. Somebody has wronged you or wronged them, and so there's an emotional struggle with, with resentment going on inside. Sometimes it's jealousy. Sometimes it's, it's some other, you know, emotion, perhaps depression or something like that, you know, and disappointment going on in their life. 
emotionally. Sometimes the battle in people's lives is financial. In fact, a lot of times it's financial. There's just not enough pie to go around, and they're getting into debt, and there's bad choices financially. Maybe there's been a job loss or loss of income somehow, so there's, there's a financial battle. Sometimes it's a battle with an addiction. They just can't stop drinking that thing, popping those pills, looking at the thing, looking at the stuff. There's just some type of addiction going on in the life with gambling or something else that's destroying uh, a marriage or destroying a relationship or even destroying themselves, their physical body. Sometimes that's the battle. Sometimes the battle is, is, is just as simple as this. We live in a culture that idolizes the body, and so we look at people that are beautiful and, and elevated and special, and we look at our bodies and we go, we don't look like them. And so the battle is with our weight and how we don't like the way we look in the mirror, and, and it's a daily battle, and we're discouraged and we're down because of our physical appearance. I mean, you name it, people are battling something in their life. So, so many times it's just a marriage battle. The marriage is just on the rocks, there's pain, there's hurt, can't get the marriage to work right, and every day is a struggle inside of the marriage. Sometimes it's a battle with, with chronic pain. Anybody struggle with chronic pain, constant pain in your back? Maybe it's headaches, something else. And you, man, I, I empathize with that because I have some back pain. And man, when my back is hurting, it, it's hard to focus. It's hard to focus on anything significant. You're just always in pain or something like that. And so maybe that's your battle going on. Maybe it's a disease. Maybe you ha you're struggling with some type of, of sickness uh, of sorts. But here's what I know. Each one of us are struggling and fighting a hard battle. It's just the way it goes. In your notes here, the first, first fill-in is that life can be discouraging. It's absolutely, it just can be. A friend of mine last week told me that his, his laptop, his Mac, Macintosh laptop, was stolen out of the back seat of his friend's car. Somebody busted the window out, took the backpack, grabbed it, and, and, and this, to, to this guy in particular, he, he, he lived off of his Mac computer. So it wasn't like me, you know, I just have a Mac or, or computer just because I need one. This guy lived off of it. It's totally, all of his stuff, all, he ran his business off this thing. Now, thankfully, he had it backed up and everything, but, but his computer's just gone. Isn't it interesting how life it just has a way of punching in the gut sometimes, taking the wind out of it? He's like, ah. Oh. Life can be very discouraging, and when life is discouraging, we tend to lose heart. We, tell me if this is not accurate. We tend, to, we tend to lose our energy. We tend to lose our strength to live. We tend to lose our zest for life. We tend to lose our hope that things are going to get better, so we tend to kind of get into a slump, or we get depressed, or we turn blue, or things turn gray. We get very discouraged. Isn't that true in our lives? It happens, and what makes matters worse is that there's there's not a lot of encouragement going around. Have you noticed that? Like, there's not an epidemic of encouragement going on in my life or your life or anybody else's life. It, like, nobody's walking around saying, oh, would you please stop encouraging me? It's too much. I can't handle it anymore. Just stop the encouragement. Like, and, like it, there's not an epidemic of encouragement going around. Have you noticed this? And I think the reason is because, and I hate to admit this in church, is that people are just pretty much mean. They just are. You know, there's just, it's not natural to be encouraging. I mean, do you remember middle school? Does anybody remember middle school? Some of you have forgotten middle school because it was so bad. Do you remember what you said to other kids in middle school? You, you. Do you remember what other middle school kids said to you? Oh, vicious, right? I remember even before middle school, um, there was a, in kindergarten, I just I remember this. I was, I, was, I was a mean kid in kindergarten. I just, I just had a mean streak in me. Sometimes I was nice, and sometimes I was really mean. Like when, when other kids would, you know, in kindergarten, my favorite thing was to build blocks and build, build, build in this. There was a block corner. Anybody else have a block corner in kindergarten? 
and all the boys would go in the block corner, and the girls, it's like a boys' club. Well, when some of the other boys would build up their blocks, I would knock it down. Like, what? <laughs> I was the tallest kid. I was the tallest boy in kindergarten, so I was a little bit of a bully. And I know you shouldn't be a bully, and, but I was, and I was me, and I had two older brothers. So if they're going to mess with me, I'm going to mess with somebody else, right? Kick the dog or somebody. And so I'd go to school, and I'd have this mean streak. Well, in kindergarten, they, matched me. they would always match me up with this really tall girl. Her name was Dana. Now, she was taller than I was, okay? So girls just grow crazy like that when they're young. And, and not only was this girl taller than me, she, she was also bigger than me. So she was like, she, and so in gym class, whenever we had to do something together with a partner, and I, you know that thing with the crab walk? I hated that. Why did they make you do that? Really? <laughs> They'd say, well, nobody was strong enough to, to carry Dana, so I had to do the crab walk with Dana. Now, that made me really dislike Dana a lot. She was bigger than me, taller than me. She, I always got matched up with her, I, so I ended up just making fun of her all the time. I was mean. I'd call her names, this, that, the other thing. You, you probably think of the names I called her. Well, it got to the point where she couldn't handle it anymore, so she told her mother. Now, did I mention Dana was a tall girl? Tall girls come from tall mamas. My mom tells this story better than I do. True story. Dana's mom shows up at my house. Seriously. No, 6'1", lady, five, my mom's 5'3". I know she's tough, Puerto Rican. I know that, but she's no match for a, this 6'1", mama. I mean, this was like, this was dangerous. And I'm, I'm over there, and I'm listening. She starts going off. Your son called my daughter, blah, 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 blah. He better quit it, or else it's going to be trouble. And I'm, my mom's like, somehow my mom got this lady to go away, right? She closed the door, and she comes in, and she, my mom just rips into me. What did you call her? I can't believe you said that to her. I'm like, okay, I'll never say it again. And I never said it again because I caught a glimpse of Dana's mom at the door. <laughs> like there was a shadow over my mother. It's like, Wow. I feared for my mother's life and my own, you know, it's like, but, but what is that about, you know, the natural tendency for people to be discouraging and, and, and be, you know, nasty and mean, it's just, we just live in a world where there's just not an epidemic of encouragement, there's not a lot going around. Remember the story of Job? If you read the story of Job, seven sons, three daughters, camels, sheep, the Bible says he was the richest man in the land. Well, Satan makes a deal with God, and he's basically, Satan says to God, the reason Job loves you is because you've blessed him so much. So God says, oh yeah? Go ahead. Have your way with Job and we'll see what happens. We'll see if he turns his back on me. So Satan, you know, messes with Job. All seven sons die. All three daughters die. Camels, sheep, oxen, goats, everything dies. He loses it all. His wife at one point in chapter 2 looks at him and says, you know what? I can't believe you still have your integrity. You should curse God and die. That's pretty encouraging, don't you think? <laughs> no, it was very discouraging, right? So 16 chapters later, Job has these three friends come on the scene, and they're there to try to comfort him and encourage him. But they absolutely fail to do so. Finally, Job speaks up in chapter 16. Look what he says to his three friends. If you've read the book, you'll recognize this. I've heard all this before. What miserable comforters you are. And these guys were supposed to be his encouragers, and they were terrible. They were saying, Job, you want to know why this has happened to you? Because you're a sinner, and you need to repent. And they were all wrong. They had it all wrong. He goes on, he says, why? He says, won't you stop blowing hot air? What makes you keep on talking? Did I, did, have I said this yet? There's not an epidemic of encouragement. Like, you, no point in your life you're, are you going to say to the people around you, okay, okay, stop. It's too much. I can't handle it anymore. 
There's no epidemic of encouragement. Here's, here's what's interesting. Life is discouraging many times. There's no epidemic of encouragement. And so what that does is create a perfect environment or a perfect storm for casualties. Casualties. See, discouragement leads to causes is the source of people wrecking their lives. Have you noticed this? Think about your own life for a moment. Haven't you made terrible choices when you were down, discouraged, in the, in, in, in saddened, depressed, and so you do something you shouldn't do, you talk to somebody you shouldn't talk to, you spend some money you shouldn't have spent, you do something, you go somewhere you shouldn't have gone, you, and you do something you shouldn't have done. Haven't you done those things when you were down, when you were discouraged, when you were at the bottom. Isn't that true? In 2014, 39,000 people committed suicide in this country. That was the low estimate. The high estimate was 41,000. People make crazy choices when they are down and when they lose hope and when they have no more zest for life and they don't think things are going to get better. And so discouragement causes casualties in our lives. Two years ago, I'll tell you a quick story. This, this talk is supposed to be very encouraging, so I'll try, to, I'll try not to get you too low here. But this is just my life. Two years ago, I met with a gentleman in Starbucks, and he was just telling me uh, his story. He came forward one Sunday morning, and I said, hey, I'd like to hear your whole story. And so we went to Starbucks, and at that particular time, he was doing pretty well. He, had, he was a retired veteran, and uh, he had fought in Iraq, and, but he had battled. He had some demons he was battling. And so we had a great meeting at Starbucks, and, and um, I said, hey, you know, you should try to get more involved in the church and do this or that, maybe get in a small group, and didn't really follow up with them too, long, too much. It wasn't but a few months later that this gentleman committed suicide. He had lost hope. He had gotten down. He didn't think his situation was going to get better. You know what's crazy? When I'm sitting in Starbucks, I can actually see the spot out the window where he shot himself. So every time I go there, I look out the window and I think of my friend and I think of our meeting and I think, wow, when, when people get down, when they get discouraged, when they lose hope, when they lose heart, they make crazy decisions that lead to casualties. Listen to what the scriptures say in Proverbs chapter 17. You got to take this to heart. You got to take this in. I know this is hard and this is tough. Listen, a broken spirit saps a person's strength. That's just the way it is. When your heart is down, when you go into that low spot, you have no energy. What does that mean? Physically, mentally, and emotionally, you're sapped. You're done. And, but what that does, let me, now let me give you some hope. Let me take you up out of this. I've learned a huge lesson. Now I'm a natural encourager, but I need to amp it up myself even more. What, what this creates, this, this little scenario where life is discouraging, there's not an epidemic of encouragement going on, and, and, and discouragement leads to casualties, guess what that does for me, and guess what that does for you? It provides an opportunity for you to make a huge difference in people's lives. 
Now let me get on the encouragement side here. See, people are, people are naturally discouraged because life is hard. And what happens if you step into their life and you provide some real encouragement? Well, here's what happens. You become extraordinarily useful. The way I've said it in the first service and last night is that when you become an expert encourager, you become extraordinarily useful. And if that's all you get today, some of you need to write that down because that was pretty good. See, the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. Don't forget that. You forget most of what you don't write down. Some of you aren't writing. Let me say it again. Ready? Here we go. Ready? An expert encourager becomes extraordinarily useful. Why? Because you're meeting a need where people are at. People are down, they're discouraged, and there's not an epidemic of encouragement going on. And people make terrible decisions when they're down, and then they bump into you, and you lift their spirit. You become incredibly useful in their life. There's a study done by psychologists years ago on, uh, on people who uh, they were testing people's ability to uh, resist pain. And so they had people stand in a bucket of ice water. And I was thinking about having a couple of people come up here and demonstrate, um, but I thought I would spare you that and just do it to myself, because that would be mean. And basically what they, what they did was they had certain people step in ice water, and, and they did it in isolation all by themselves, and they timed them. And then they had other people step in ice water, and, and, and they had people around them cheering them on. And so the, this is literally what the test was. They just, just kind of poured this in here like this. Real ice water, terrible, awful, miserable ice water. And, and the people just stood right in there. <gasps> wow! <laughs> that's jolting, okay? That's very painful. And so, and so the people in, in the room who were isolated, uh, they actually, they, they, they didn't last nearly as long as the people who were in the other room. In fact, the people in the other room who had people around them encouraging them lasted twice as long. It's really hard to talk right now because <laughs> this is really painful. And so I need some encouragement. Would you encourage me? Yes, see? See, I feel that. I feel that. See, so, see when I'm preaching, you need to do that every now and then because that makes me, that, that gives me some encouragement. Oh my gosh, this hurts! Okay, okay, okay. So here's the idea. You, you, can, you, can, you can go longer. This is, what the, this is what the psychologist found. You can go longer when you have people encouraging you, saying, hey, hang on, stay with it. Be, you, know, you can do it. i got to step out of this for a second. Oh my gosh. But here's the idea. Here's the reality. The reason I wanted you to see that and physically do that instead of just preaching about it is I wanted you to remember this. This is life. I'm going to step back in. This, I'm telling you, I want to feel that pain. Here's why. Here's why. Because he, this is where some people are. Emotionally, they're going through something, chronic pain. There is pain right now in my feet. <laughs> They're going through a marriage situation, and the pain is high, and they want to give up, and they need someone to come by and say, hey, hang in there. Stick with it. You can make it. And when you give that encouragement, they can last longer. But this is a picture of life. This, the pain that I'm in right now is where a lot of people are. Be kind to everybody because everybody you meet is going through or fighting a hard battle. Do you see that? But that's when you step in, as I step out. <laughs> And you provide the encouragement that people need. So you know what I want to talk about for the rest of our time today? I want to talk about how you can become an expert encourager so that you could provide 
encouragement for people who need it so that you can become incredibly useful. So how do we do that? Let's look in our notes really quick. Number one, you must, first of all, encourage yourself. You must encourage yourself. Let me put these down here really quick so I don't look like a dork. You need, you need to encourage yourself. See, the reality of this whole situation is that you can't wait for someone else to put courage in you. You can't do it. You can't give what you don't have. Like, if you don't have joy for life or zest for life or courage inside of your heart, you can't give it out to the people who need it, right? You can't give what you don't have. And I'm telling you, so, so here's the idea. You have to take responsibility for your own encouragement, That's the reality of the situation. You can't wait around for your husband to encourage you or for your wife to encourage you or if you're a student here today, for your parents to encourage you or a coach or a teacher. Now, that may happen, and that's icing on the cake, and that's fun. But like I said, there's no epidemic of encouragement going on around here. If if you're in a a job situation or you have a boss, you you can't wait around for your boss to encourage you. You want to know why? Because your boss is probably discouraged. Hello. (laughs) They're in charge of the organization and they have their own issues and so they're not going to be pouring encouragement on you you can't wait around for them to encourage you got to go and encourage yourself then you bring your own weather to work hello ever heard that before right you bring your own joy to work you're not relying on anybody else for encouragement great great story in the old testament that illustrates this is king david when he comes back from talking with the philistines the amalekites had raided the camp, the, uh, the, 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 the uh, little town they were living in called Ziglag. And they, t- they stole all of their wives, their children, and they burned it to the ground. And when David got back and he realized everybody's families were gone and they lost their homes, David's men turned on him. And they, they picked up stones and they wanted to kill him. And David's life was in danger. In 1 Samuel chapter 30, we read this. This is what David did. But David, say it with me, encouraged himself. In the Lord. He said, man, this is a bad situation. What am I going to do? I can't look to my guys for encouragement. David's own two wives were gone. So he was struggling. He was discouraged. He was the leader. Was he going to wait for somebody else to encourage him? No, instead he got alone with God. And he sought God. And he heard from God. And he asked God, should we pursue these Amalekites who stole our women and our children and get all our stuff back? And God said, yes. Then David came back to his men. He talked to his men. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to chase after the Amalekites. We're going to get them. We're going to get our wives back and our children back and all of our stuff back. And guess what his men did? All 600. They followed him. Well, 200 stayed back. 400 of the 600 followed David and went after the Amalekites, won the battle, got their wives back, got their children back, and they threw a party. Now, how did he pull that off? How did he turn his men's heart from wanting to kill him to following him into the battle? Here's how he did it. He took the courage that was inside of himself and he put it in their heart. Which, by the way, that's what encouragement is. You say, what's the word mean? It means to take courage and put it into somebody else's heart. That's exactly what David did. He encouraged his men. He said, I heard from the Lord. He told us to go fight the Amalekites. And they followed him and they won the battle. And they got their people back. They got their families back. You want to be an expert encourager? I'm telling you, here's the deal. You might want to write this down. Remember, you forget most of what you don't write down. You must take responsibility for your own courage. You must take responsibility for your own courage. You cannot wait around for someone else to put courage in you. you. If you want to make a difference, if you want to be useful. 
You want, to, you want to be useful to your family, your coworkers, your, your children, the other people in your life, your neighbors? You know, this is what you got to do. You have to encourage yourself. Number two, you have to use your words. You want to make a difference? You want to be an expert encourager that makes an extraordinary, that's extraordinarily useful? You have to use your words. There is extraordinary power in words. Let me say this carefully. This, this, this is something, this is something that's, that means so much to me. It's why I love my job. The right words said at the right time in the right way can alter the state of somebody's soul. I've seen it. That's why I love to preach. The right words at the right time said in the right way can alter the state of someone's soul. That is absolutely true. God has given us the spoken word so that we can say things that change the way other people feel or perceive or understand their world. Listen to what Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25 says. Worry weighs a person down, but an encouraging word cheers a person up. There's something about the spoken word that alters the state of someone's soul. Does that make sense? In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, this is what the proverb says. But the words of the wise bring healing. They bring healing. What's that all about? Healing. Why do we need healing? Because life is discouraging. We get down. There's brokenness. There's sin. There's, there's things that happen in the world that are outside of our control. Hurtful things, right? Accidents and diseases. And so the, the soul is in, this, is, is in this constant position of brokenness. And your words bring healing to other people's souls. Now, I could preach on that for another five minutes, but I think it'd be better for you to see this principle actually played out and actually see the power of what words can do. I'm going to invite someone up here right now. Her name is Gay Shingleton. Gay, where are you at? Gay is going to put this principle into practice. Check this out. Why don't you give her a hand real quick? Good morning. Again, my name is Gay Shingleton. I work on staff here at Emanuel. And as part of my job responsibility, I help to oversee the bookstore at Banton here at the Greenwood campus. And this morning, I would like to call up Andrea Goulet. <laughs> Andrea's here. Can you give her a hand, please? This is my lovely friend, affectionately known as Andy. She has no idea this was coming. So come on over here. <laughs> Look at this. She's such a poster for the bookstore. Look at that bookstore. Don't you love it? Andrea has worked in our bookstore for about the last three years since, the, um, since it was constructed here in the new site back by the E-Cafe. And I have had the privilege of getting to know her. And I just want to give you some words of encouragement today because there are so many admirable qualities about you that I, I want to emulate. And you've taught me a lot just in the short amount of time that I've known you, so I want you to be encouraged by this today. You are always such a positive person. You have got such a cheerful disposition all the time and just a sweet, sweet spirit about you. You're going to start crying, but you cry. <laughs> and I just, I love you for that. I love that you are always willing to do whatever is asked of you. You step up to the plate when new responsibility opens the door. And just to give you a little bit of background for one of the reasons why I really appreciate Andy is she's a mom, she's a wife, she works just like most of you, and she gives of her time freely here at church. And recently I had asked her to take over the scheduling of our bookstore here, and that entails scheduling about 15 to 20 people. 
and they each have preferences on when they can work, how often they can work, um, just trying to get to know those people, and she took that baby on <laughs> just hands down and learned a scheduling system, and then a little bit later, we introduced her to a new scheduling system. She took the time to come in and learn that, and she has just just taken off with that, and in that regard, you know, you've made my life a little bit easier, but overall, I just want you to know that I, I sense God's spirit on you. You make people feel at ease. Um, you love them. You're willing to be used. You literally are the hands and feet of Jesus, and I just love you, and I value you as a person. Emmanuel values you as a member, but overall, I love who you are, and I thank you for who you are, and thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus. I love you. that awesome? There's nothing like a power of words to lift your spirit. When you say something like, hey, I really appreciate you, or you're really good at that, or man, way to go. We couldn't be where we are today without you. Man, you look great today. You look beautiful today. You look handsome today. I heard one pastor say it this way, Craig Rochelle. He's of Life Point Church. He said, never let any good thing go unsaid. Man, if you think it and it's good, say it. Never let any good thing go unsaid. You can tweet that. Give Craig credit, okay? <laughs> I just try to live that out. If I think something good about my kids, if I think something good about my wife or anybody in my life, I try to verbalize it. Why would I keep that inside? Why would I keep it inside? It doesn't have an impact if I keep it to myself, right? Words are powerful. The right words said at the, in the, at the right time and the right way can alter the state of someone's soul. Now, it also works the negative way. Okay, right? Remember I was calling Dana names and got all kinds of problems, right? So death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21. You know, so you'll eat the fruit of, you know, you'll reap the consequences of either positive words or negative words. So words lift the spirit. Let me give you the last one, number three. Invite people into community. Invite people into community. What am I talking about? I'm talking about saying, hey, would you come into our small group? Around here we say circles are better than rows. Why are circles better than rows? Well, one reason is because when you're living inside the context of intentional relationships, you get to encourage one another. And that is exactly what you need, and that is exactly what other people need. Some of you say, well, I don't want to be in a small group. I don't like being in a small group. Who is missing out on a blessing because you won't be in a small group? It's not just about you. Come on. There's like a whole group of people waiting to be blessed by you, but you're not there, right? Because you don't like it, or you're too busy, or you got this, or you don't want people to know your junk, or whatever, <laughs> right? There's a group of people waiting to be blessed by you. There's a group of people waiting to be encouraged by something you have to say. It's not always about you. Listen to what the scriptures say in Proverbs chapter 10. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 10. Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do. Some people is like, I don't want to be in a small group. <laughs> See, you're not the first one to, to, to be that way. <laughs> See, we, only, we got a church of like 4,000 people. Only 1,000 of us are in small groups. Some of you are saying, I don't want to be in a small group. Okay? They were doing that too. So the author of Hebrews, through God's inspiration, says, hey, don't do that. Don't neglect meeting together, but rather say it with me. What? Encourage one another. 
See, the idea of being in a circle of intentional relationships with other people is so that you could put courage into other people and they could put courage into you. Because life is discouraging and there's no epidemic of encouragement and people make really bad decisions when they are discouraged. So get in a small group, live in community. So every time I talk to somebody at this church and they ask questions to me, whether it's down here after a sermon or out out in the community, you know what my first question is or one of my first questions is? Are you in a? Yeah. Yeah. Not, will you come hear me give a talk? I would sure like to ask that question too or make that request. But it's rather, will you get in a small group? Because when you're in a group, there's going to be a bunch of people who know what you're going through. And they're going to be able to take some courage and shove it in you. And you're going to be able to face into your obstacles and face into your difficulties and make it another day. Are you with me? This is my encouragement. Yeah. See? That's how I asked for it. So uh, two weeks ago, two weeks ago in my small group, uh, you know, I got uh, a bunch of guys. We meet here on Wednesdays, and, and uh, one of the guys was discouraged, and I really didn't pick up on it. You know, I'm just got, you know I, did, I didn't see it. I didn't sense it. But right after the group ended, one of the other guys in the group came up to me and said, we were all leaving, and I was getting ready to get in my car and get out of there. One of the guys came up to me and said, hey, I'm just going to take so-and-so out. I noticed that he was discouraged. We're going to go out and get, get a drink and, and just hang out and see what's going on. I said, man, that's awesome, because I didn't pick up on it. That, you know, I mean, I saw it a little bit, but I wasn't going to act. I wanted to go home. So this guy took this guy out right after group, and, and, uh, and, and, and it went well, and he just, he just put courage into him and kind of listened to what's going on. The very next day, another guy from my group noticed the same thing, totally separate, and he said, hey, I'm taking so-and-so to, to lunch today because I noticed in group last night he was kind of discouraged. I'm like, wow, that's awesome. You know, last night he had somebody take him out, and then today he's, getting, he's going to grab lunch with somebody. And, and, and so they went to lunch, and he kind of encouraged them, listened to what's going on, and I knew a little bit of what's going on. And I thought, that's it. That's the power of living in, in community because you can encourage one another. See, when you're sitting in rows, nobody knows what's going on in your life. Nobody knows. Like, on your, like you're, well, I'm about to pray here in a little bit. You're going to leave here. Nobody's going to say, hey, 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 hold up. How are you doing? You doing all right? How's that thing going? You're going to make it. Hang in there. No, nobody's doing that. Right now, in just a few moments, you're going to walk to your car, and you're going to go get something to eat, aren't you? But when you're in a group, man, somebody's going to go, hey, what's, hey dude, how's that thing? Hey, how's your, how's your wife? Hey, how's, that, how's your husband? How's your son doing with that thing you, you mentioned last week? How's, how are you doing? And when you're in a group, you find out somebody cares and somebody loves you and somebody's going to pray for you. And sometimes that's all you need to face back into your life and overcome those obstacles and continue to live with courage. You with me? So, so we're getting ready to do some startup groups here. Right? June, June 4th at this campus, the Greenwood campus, right out in the E-Cafe, June 4th, 6.30 on Thursday nights. And for those of you who are not in a group, I would say, come on, what are you waiting for? There's somebody waiting to be blessed by you. And then you are going to be blessed by them. June 4th, somebody need to write that down. June 4th, Thursday, 6.30 at the Greenwood campus right in the E-Cafe. We're doing startup groups, okay? You want to make a use, be useful with your life. Man, you got to encourage yourself. you got to use your words. And then you got to live in the context of community. What does that look like if you do that? Watch this. You become massively useful. Listen to what the Bible says. A cheerful heart is good what? Yeah. You know what you become? A big giant bottle of medicine. That's what you become <laughs> to the people around you, 
to your husband, to your wife, to your kids, you're just dishing out medicine, just medication. What does medication do, right? It heals the body. It heals the soul, right? And that's what you do. But you have to have a cheerful heart, right? you got to be filled with life. you got to be filled with courage. you got to be filled with joy. you got to want to get up out of bed and live this life and be happy. And then all of a sudden, you can put some medicine into the people who need it all around you. You know, my dad, I, I, told, I told many of you this a couple years ago. My dad had three open-heart surgeries. On the third open-heart surgery, um, the success rate of that is, is very low. It's anywhere from 30 to 50%, because when you, when you work on the heart that much, it weakens. And, but they had to do it because he had an infection on his aorta valve. And so they, it was successful. He made it through the surgery miraculously. I think, I think it was a miracle. Closed him back up. And, but the doctor said one thing. They said, okay, for the rest of your life, until the day you die, you're going to be on this antibiotic. Because you cannot allow any infection in your body to go back to your heart. Because we cannot open up your chest to get for a fourth time. You're going to die. So every day he takes his medicine. And that medicine saves his life. It kills off any infection. Because when you have a weak heart, any infection travels to the weakest spot in your body. And then it just settles there. He's got a plastic valve. right? So the medicine, you know, it, can't, it cannot settle there. You know what? There's a medicine that heals our soul, <laughs> and that medicine is Christ. There's a sickness that you and I have that we cannot heal ourselves, and it's called sin. That is absolutely true. Did you know that if you don't take care of sin, if you don't get the right medicine for sin, you will spend eternity apart from God? It will kill you physically, and it will kill you spiritually. And when I, talk, when I say kill you spiritually, I mean separation from God forever for all eternity. You are an eternal being that will live forever in heaven or forever in hell. The determining factor of where you spend eternity is, is the medicine. <laughs> and the medicine is Christ. You say, what do you mean? Christ came to this earth to die on a cross, to pay the penalty for your sin, to wipe away sin and the consequences of sin in our lives. And when you put your faith in Christ, notice I didn't say when you join a church or when you get baptized or when you join a religion or anything else like that. Notice I didn't say that. Very important to understand this. When you put your faith in Christ, when you say to Jesus, I trust what you did on me for the, uh, for the, for the penalty of sin. I trust that you died on the cross when you paid the penalty. You died in my place. I put my faith in you and I trust you for the forgiveness of sins. That's when the medicine, <laughs> the blood of Christ covers your sin and washes you and makes you clean and makes you a child of God. And for some of you right now, you need to make that decision. You need to put your faith in Christ. And for many of you have already made that decision. And what I'm going to ask you to do is pray for those who are about to make this decision. And if you'd like to do that, if you feel God tugging on your heart, and by the way, that's how you know. You feel him. You feel him sensing, this is you right now. Take this medicine. Put your faith in my son. And you sense him tugging on you. He's drawing you to himself. If that's you right now, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And in this very holy moment that was designed just for you, Reach out to Christ in faith. Receive the medicine. Receive salvation. Forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. Say these simple words to him. He's listening right now. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. I trust in your sacrifice. You died in my place. You paid for my sin. I believe in you. I trust you. 
In this very moment, make me your child by faith. And from this day forward, give me the strength and the wisdom and the grace to live my life in a way that honors you, in a way that brings a smile to your face. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer to receive Christ, the Bible says, not me, the Bible says that you have become a child of God. The Bible says, to as many as did receive him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. John chapter 1, verse 12. And so as a child of God, a born-again Christian is the way Jesus uh, described it, to be born again, you need some spiritual milk. And your spiritual milk is the word of God. And so that's why at this church, what we want to do is when a person prays to receive Christ, we want to put a Bible in their hands. So there's tables back here to my left and to my right. If you prayed to receive Christ just now, would you go back there and would you say, hey, I prayed, can I have one of those Bibles? And they'll put one of these in your hands, okay? Can we give God a hand for what he's done today? Hey, right now, right now, I don't see any back, anybody back there by the tables, but, but so I do see somebody back there. So if nobody's there, just wait a moment. Somebody will be right there. They'll put one of these in your hands. Now, for the rest of us, for the rest of us, remember, remember I, in the beginning of this talk, I asked you if you created anything, and not many of you raised your hand. Okay, okay. This week, don't let that happen. This week, take these. If you have to take the bulletin or the handout that we give you and, and read it every day, Take it with you and say, okay, this week, this week I am going to live a Swiss Army life, which is a life, a life of encouraging others. I am going to encourage five people each day this week with a handwritten note, with, with words of encouragement, with a smile. I'm going to encourage myself by spending time in the Word, by listening to music. I'm going to do these different things. I'm going to get in a small group. I'm going to invite someone into a small group and encourage the heck out of somebody. Would you do that this week? Because if you do, if you do, you're going to make an extraordinary difference in someone's life, I promise you. Is that a good challenge? Awesome, awesome. Let's try it. <laughs> Father, we know that this life can be discouraging at times. We know that there's not an epidemic of encouragement going around. And God, I know personally, all too well, that we make terrible decisions when we're down. So help each one of us to be your hands and feet this week. Give us the wisdom to encourage ourselves first. Fill us with your joy and your strength and your zest, a zest for life. God, help us to use our words with our children, with our spouses, to lift up, to put courage into them, to appreciate them. God, when we gather in our groups this week, May it be a time of encouragement where we gather and we speak life into one another so that we can face into the struggles we have and overcome. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, I love you. I love being your pastor. Cannot wait, wait, wait to do this again. Next week is week number four of the Swiss Army Life. Bring your friends, and uh, we'll see you next week. God bless.